All right, all right. Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen today. This is a phrase that we hear on Easter Sunday, this profound phrase. We say because Jesus is the only one in this world that has ever raised from the dead and then raised into heaven. As Rich opened up today this, the, for the service, this monumental event that we celebrate here on Easter is a, one that has lasted and has completely destroyed all empires, all ruling nations, that the church exists today because of this event. This is the reason why we say he is risen, because it only belongs to Jesus alone, that Jesus conquered death for life, not just for himself, but for all of humanity. There's no pandemic that could silence the church today. There's no walls that hold the gospel in. There's no, there's, there's no walls that could contain this message. That the gospel goes beyond the pandemic. It goes into the churches, into the markets, into the streets, and into our homes. That Jesus is risen and salvation rests in him alone. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. That you are a God that loves us. And today as we celebrate Easter, it is your love poured down, your mercy given, your grace extended. Lord, that this is a a time for us to celebrate that we are no longer dead, but alive. So Father God, as we look into your word, we ask for encouragement for the church to the people, for the church to the world. So Father God, we thank you for giving us the freedom to come to you today. We thank you for giving us the, the, the ability to come to worship you. And we pray, Lord, that your glory be known and that your name be proclaimed. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Easter is a very familiar story to us. It is the story of Jesus dying on Good Friday. We celebrated together and we focused in on on the death of of Jesus. And three days later, he is risen. So it's on Sunday. Today, we celebrate the fact that he is risen. This is the gospel message. This is the new beginning, a new birth, a born again moment. In John chapter 5, verse 24, says this. It says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. It means that anyone that hears the word of Jesus believes in God and will not be judged and will have eternal life and crosses over from death to life. This is the good news that we celebrate, the gospel that sets us apart. This is what Easter weekend is about, that Christ is risen and that he has given us new life. When end that we are raised with him. Well, new life. Why, why do we need new life? What is wrong with the life I currently have right now? Have you ever had the feeling to do something that you know is, is wrong? Like, it's, it's one of those things where it's not really going to hurt anyone, but you know you shouldn't be doing it. 
for me, there's, there's this thing that I don't go into China shops. I don't go into China shops as in like fine china and like glassware and all that kind of stuff. There's a reason for that. It's because every time I walk into one of these fancy glassware or china shop, I have this incredible urge to go and push down everything. I want to go and smash things. It, it, it's this, it, it almost is this, brings a satisfaction to me. You know that bowl in a china shop phrase, I, I think that's me, right? It doesn't really hurt anybody, but it, you know you're not supposed to do it. I'm a younger sibling, and for those that uh, come in, that, that are born into families with multiple siblings, for me as a younger sibling, I love to bug my older sister. I do it out of boredom because it is so much fun. Is it the right thing to do? No. But is it the fun thing to do? Absolutely. Like, I don't know, I, I, most younger siblings could probably relate to this, but you, you're bored, you, you know, you're older, you're, my, like my sister was sitting in her room doing her own thing, you know, whether she's on her, in her desk on, or reading in her room, whatever it is, you go in, you open the door, you don't even knock, you just open the door, you walk into the room and you just scan the room, you don't say a word to your sister, and you go and find something and just knock it to the ground. And then you run out and you, you turn off the lights and you just leave the door wide open because you know it bugs her. Or I go and this is something that I love doing. My sister's terrified of spiders. I would go and catch all the spiders I could find. I'd, I'd hold them in my hands. I don't, I'm not scared of spiders. Um, and I would hold them in my hands and I would cup them in and then I would run to her room and like release the, release the, 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 the the flood of spiders that are in my head. It's, for me, it was the funniest thing. Is it the right thing to do? No. But do I do it? Yes. Because it is fun. These, this behavior is our carnal nature. This behavior is put into man as a result of sin. This nature is the aspect of rebellion. This is, the reality is that sometimes we are very intentional about breaking rules and very intentional about questioning morality and ethics. Morality and ethics are the principles that govern our behavior and distinctions of what is right and what is wrong. That rebellion is that we choose to cross over the line of right and wrong sometimes. And everybody does it. Don't tell me that you have never done this. Okay? If you drive, have you ever sped even one or two kilometers over the speed limit? If you drive, have you ever driven too slow? Because you know what? That's also illegal. Have you ever jaywalked? Have you ever littered? Have you ever not worn a mask in public? These are things where we intentionally, even though we know it doesn't hurt anybody, we cross the line. And that aspect of crossing the line and justifying saying that it's okay 
is us taking rules into our own hands and, and saying that that's okay. This rebellious nature is what sin is. It's basically saying, you don't make the rules, I am fully capable of making my own rules. It is not conforming to the law of God. What this causes is a separation from God. That this transgression that we talk about, the Bible has all these words, transgression, trespass. These are th- this it basically means that we are crossing the line or trespassing over the line that God has drawn in the sand. This causes a separation between us and God, and the separation is called death. No, it's not a physical death because we're, we're very much alive, but we're living in death right now. What does death look like in Ephesians 2? If your, your Bible is with you, turn, to me, turn with me in Ephesians 2. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desire and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath that we were dead in our trespasses, trespasses, crossing over the line. It's that intentional rebellion, right? Sometimes we we, we feel like, oh, I don't don't intentionally rebel, but the, the fact that you actually do it, that sometimes you actually cross it without actually thinking about it, that shows us our sinful nature. That in our trespasses and sin, which once we walked, doing what the world does, finding meaning in the world by being influenced in your morality by the society that says, what, what, by what society says and not by what God has set. Living according to our flesh, the lust of our flesh, doing what feels right, giving into temptation, finding our worth and meaning and validation in the worldly standards that, that have been set. This is what Paul talks about when he talks about we are dead. No, physically we're not dead, but spiritually we're dead. The thing is that sometimes when we read it in in the context of church and we read it, we think of, oh, I'm trying to be at church. I'm I'm here, I'm attending, I'm trying my best. I'm I'm living a good life. That's, That's the way of living the right life. The reality is, it's, it's not about that. You see, when Paul talks about death, sometimes living that life, that picture is actually a very attractive picture. It's living that Instagram life. You know how we love to portray ourselves? We go into Instagram and we're just bombarded with either food pictures or travel pictures or materialism and all of these things. We want to portray a certain lifestyle out there that says that we're with society, that we, we know it, we get it, we're, we, we're, we're in the in crowd. I'm a little, I'm, I, I start, I feel like I'm a little, I'm getting old now because of the fact that I don't know what's in anymore. But that's what it, it's about, that, the, that sometimes this life that Paul talks about is the chasing of the ideals of the world, enjoying the pleasures, giving into our flesh and our temptations. Jesus' most famous parable in the Bible is the parable of the, 
the, the two prodigal sons. In this parable, it actually highlights two sons. Most of the time we focus on the young son, the one that rebels, runs away, and goes to the father and says, give me my inheritance, and he takes his entire inheritance and goes and squanders it. He goes and he, he lives life out. He lives according to his pleasure. He lives according to the way that he wants to, to live. We see that this as a direct rebellion against God. But in this story, there's a second son, and that second son is the older son. And that older son lives according to what his father has set for him, lives by the rules, have done everything the right way, has always tried to live that, that obedient lifestyle. But what this story at the end highlights for us is that actually in all of this, both sons were actually dead. It's not that the younger son, because of his direct rebellion, dies, but the older son, because of the fact that when he sees the father take the younger son back, he's, he looks at it, he's like, this is not fair. And he refuses to go into the presence of the father. Death is refusing to come into the presence of the father. It doesn't actually mean that you rebel. It doesn't actually mean that I follow the rules. It doesn't, your lifestyle and the way that you portray your life doesn't give you access to the Father if you don't come to the Father through Jesus Christ. When you don't access the Father, you live a life of death. That means that that old man that's been going to the church for 60 years, following all the rules, memorizing all the scripture, knowing to do the right thing, but doesn't access the father, is just as dead as that young man that's on the street doing drugs, hooking up with prostitutes, living a life in the flesh, that both of the results of their two lifestyles both result in death. It doesn't matter what we, how we choose to live, but it matters the way that we choose to live with Christ. You see, Paul continues to write here. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgression by his grace, you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This right here is the key. That when Jesus died on the cross and when he was raised to life, that Jesus raised us up with him. So when he is risen, we too are risen. This is an opportunity. This is the thing that we're celebrating here on Easter today is not the lifestyle that we choose to portray on our Instagram, but it is the life that we choose to live with Jesus being raised with him. That's what the Easter message is about. What happens here is that when Jesus chose the cross, Jesus chose to give grace and he was the only sacrifice that is needed and that is able to atone for our sin. So that when God now looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, doesn't see our shame, but he sees Jesus' righteousness. That when Jesus was raised, that we were also raised, no longer dead, but alive. This is God's kindness to us.
This is what we're celebrating today, that we are no longer dead but alive. That our meaning, our purpose, our security, our identity, our safety, our morality, our influence is now fulfilled and restored back to the original creation when God created us in his image to have that deep personal relationship with you. Alive because he is alive, and this is the key. Paul continues to write, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Not by works so no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the life aspect. This is what we talk about when we say we have crossed over from death to life. You see, God, the creator of the universe, created all things, created you, that God knew you even before you existed, that he knit you together in your mother's room, that he has a purpose for you, and that he has even prepared good works for you even before you knew it. That's the exciting life that is set before you if you choose to live with God. Just saying that I believe in this event happening, that Jesus died on the cross, that I believe that Jesus died for my sins, I received the gift of righteousness and eternal life comes with something else. We started our, our service sermon today with John 5.25. It says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. In this, in this chapter, before Jesus states the statement, in Chapter 5, the beginning of the chapter, it's a story of a, a man that's been paralyzed, that's sitting at the pool of Bethesda. And what he, he's, he's done, he's, he's, he's lame, he's crippled, he's waiting for the waters to stir so that he could get into the pool to be healed. He's been lame for 38 years. And this man is, has, this, has this excuse. He's alive, very much alive. He just can't walk. He's an invalid. He can't do anything because he can't walk. And he's sitting there waiting, and Jesus approaches him and says, what are you waiting for? What are you, what, like, what are you doing sitting here? And this man basically tells him, I'm, I'm paralyzed, I can't do anything. And Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? And the man has an excuse and says, sir, I have nobody to pick me up to pick me into the pool when the water is stirred. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And so that man got up, picked up his mat, and walked. Salvation came to him, healing came to him. Now, at that moment, Jesus healed him. He went from being alive but dead because he wasn't really living to being alive and alive. But here's the clincher. The man walks around and he doesn't know who healed him. He walks around and, I mean, the Pharisees come and there's this whole other thing. I could go into a whole other sermon with that. But here's my point. Pharisees come to him and he's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this on the Sabbath? The man says, like, I don't know. This man came and healed me, and I have no idea who he is. He told me to pick up my mat and walk. In the commotion, Jesus comes back to this man. And what happens? He says, he said, see, you are well. Sin no more that you have nothing worse may happen to you. That Jesus had to come back to this guy that has already experienced Jesus' healing. 38 years of not walking, all of a sudden he's walking around with his mat on his back, carrying this thing, and he's just walking around not knowing what he's doing, and Jesus has to come back around. He's like, what are you doing? 
Jesus comes back and says, look, you are well. I am giving you life. You are well now. Go and sin no more. Church, this is a huge message here. Sometimes we encounter Jesus at salvation, but we decide to do nothing about it, and then we just walk around aimlessly with our mat on our back. And today I want to remind you, Jesus is coming back and saying, you are well. Go and sin no more. This is what Easter is about. This is why Jesus gave us life. This is why we go from death to life. I want to challenge you with this. When you come into salvation, it's like saying, I've lived this life. I made a mistake. And I need to pay for a mistake, but Really, I, I, it's too big of a price for me to pay. So now I'm, I'm not paying it, and the result is these people are now after me. They're here to arrest me. They're here to, 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 to make me pay for the mistake that I've made. But the mistake that I've made is a debt that's far too big for me to pay. And so now I know that these people are now after me, and I'm on the run. And I'm running, and I'm running, I'm running. I'm trying to dodge these people. There's literally a manhunt coming after me. Let's say that was your life. And then all of a sudden, a man comes to you and says, I'm going to pay your debt. There's nothing that you need to do. But I'm going to make sure that these, these guys that are coming after you are not, no longer coming after you. I'm going to make sure that the mistake that you made and the price that you need to pay for that mistake, I will pay. You don't need to worry about it. Not only do you not need to worry about that mistake, you don't need to worry about any other mistakes that you make in the future. I will cover it all. How will you react to this man? Will you just be like, oh, great. All right, my debt is paid. I'm going to go back to living my old life. Are you going to do that? Or are you going to look at this man because you know my life is on, is, is on the line here? that people are coming after me and all of a sudden this man says, I'm going to pay for that mistake and then all of your future mistakes. What is your reaction? Is it just like, oh, okay, all right, I'm done. I'm going to just go back to living my old life because I know that everything else is done. No. If you are living that way, then you are ungrateful. You don't actually know what salvation is. You don't know that the kindness that was given to you, how would it make you feel to encounter someone that is willing to pay off your debt? Would it spark something in you where you would be, where you would want to know more of this man's kindness? Where you want to know what else he has to offer? Wouldn't you want this man to be part of your social network? Wouldn't you want this man to be part of your life? Wouldn't you want to know to, to be with this man all the time, knowing that he is your ultimate protection? I don't know about you, but I would stick with this man. Because as you stick with him, you will continue, as Ephesians says, as Paul writes, you will continue to see the riches of his grace expressed through his kindness. 
that not only God forgives you of your sin and covers of your shame, that there are continual riches that come, that there is more that he pours out into your life, that there's more grace and more love and more mercy that pours out, that he not only heals you of your past, of your present, he heals you of your future, that anything that may come against you, that Jesus says, I will cover it all. Isn't that the good news? Easter is this great moment of when heaven meets earth and, and that man is restored to God. Our relationship with God is, is, is renewed, is brought back to that beginning of the original creation of living in the garden with him. It is grace that we have life today. When you think about that, how you live changes and what is important to you changes. If you look at your life and all the things that you've done, and you look at your life, and you, real, you start beginning to realize there are things that I need to change because I've encountered Jesus. Knowing that you've gone from death in life, you need to examine why that is. Why am I not motivated? Why am I not motivated by this great act on the cross, why do I still live on my own rules? Why do I not understand or see here that Jesus, that what, what motivates me to walk with Jesus? A lot of us live in our salvation like the man carrying the mat, walking around the temple aimlessly was walking. We understand Jesus healed us. We understand that Jesus did a miraculous thing in my life but we don't do anything different. Every year we talk about Easter. Every year you remember this story. The reason why we do this and the reason why we continuously remember and remind ourselves of the gospel is that aspect of Jesus coming back to the man and says, see, you are well. Go and sin no more. We're so familiar with the story sometimes that it doesn't even set into our spirit. We're so familiar with, with this grace aspect and this grace talk that when we hear it, it just goes in one ear and it doesn't settle in to our hearts and it just leaves. We take it for granted. We take this miracle that Jesus performed of forgiveness of sin, of raising from the dead, raising conquering death and giving life to every single person. We take it for granted. Jesus says, you are well. You are healed. Go and sin no more. That's the life that we are supposed to live. In Ephesians, at the end of it, 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 it says, for we are God's handy. We're created in Christ Jesus to good, do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I know that a lot of us in this church and that have been part of Five Stones have received some encouraging prophetic words. These words are an encouragement for you. They are not words that are telling of your future, but they are words to encourage you to walk with God. They are words that tell you this, that God is saying, this is the work that I have prepared for you in advance for you to do. And these prophetic words will only come if you live life with me. All the work that is done in your life, all the pain, all the joy gives glory back to Jesus. All of this, all of 
everything that you do, everything that you think of, every moment that you live comes back to this moment on the cross. It comes back to the moment of the cross because it, it, when, the moment on the, when, when the cross happened, death was defeated, that you no longer live in death, that you are now raised with Christ. You see, the good works that you are to do and the, that God prepared you to do in advance is to testify of who God is. It becomes a part of your testimony. It is your story woven together with the Easter story. It's a story of you crossing over from life, from death to life. That's what this Easter is about. So how are you going to give glory to the one that gave you life? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you have died on the cross for us, but not only that you died, that you gave life. That in your death, we find our lives raised with yours. So Father God, we just pray, Lord, that as we come before you today, that you remind us the life that we live matters today. That the life that we matter testifies of your great love, testifies of this great moment, that we see you on the cross and we see the forgiveness of our sin, we see the covering of our shame, and that your righteousness now lands on us and that we are covered by your righteousness. So Father God, as we come before you, we repent of living a life that is set by our own rules, set by our own standards, set by our own mind, set by our own spirit. And we come into a place of wanting to live life with you and, and the plans that you have set before me. Lord, we just come to you and we just confess these things. And we ask that from this moment on, that our lives gives you glory and that we are a witness of this moment in history for the rest of the world to see. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Pastor John just brought so many memorable points and said so many memorable things in that message this morning. I felt like it was a fire hydrant that was just shooting off of the stage. There was fire coming off of the stage. But I just want to pick out this one thought that he said in the middle of his message that death is not coming into the presence of the Father. So many of us can see God. He's right there. The witness of who he is is right there. But we're unwilling to go into his presence. Why? There's no door there. There's no obstacle. It's here. It's in our hearts. There's so many things that prevent us from entering into the presence of God. And let me suggest to you, dear friend, that pride is one of the big ones. The reason why the, the older son, the, the older son in the, in the prodigal story could not enter in is because he was judging God. He was saying, no, God, you're too generous. You can't do that. You're not being fair. I know better. And we do that all the time. We're judging God. No, you can't do that. It's pride. As if we know better. I'm asking you today, as a man of the cloth, I'm asking you today as a representative of Jesus Christ to consider deeply if pride is the stone that's in front of your tomb. And if you're willing to lay down that pride, God will roll the stone away and you can enter in. So God, let your spirit come and touch our hearts. Thank you, God, that this message has been ringing out from the day that you rose from the dead and it will never stop ringing. 
until you come again. And let it come into our hearts. Dear ones, yield to Jesus Christ this morning. Don't wait any longer. Don't tarry. He is coming soon. God is knocking on the door. Consider what's been shared with you this morning and say yes to Jesus. Father, we thank you for the glory of this morning, the wonder of this morning, the joy of this morning, and we give you praise in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we hope you'll come back and join us again next Sunday. Have a wonderful Easter as we continue to just celebrate his goodness. Blessings.